things you just don't even think about that people are doing in the world to make a difference. And you just got to decide what your difference is to be made and go out there and do it. Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick. But can you really quantify success with a bank balance? Or should we include softer things like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being? Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mindful Wealth Podcast. We're here today with Felicia Fro, MD. Felicia is the founder of Money With Mission. And uh, Felicia, come and tell us uh, about the path that led you to be sitting with us here today. Wow, that is interesting. Okay, so, <laughs> well, there, we'll start We'll start today and then go back. So Terry and I met and we hit it off. And so we've done podcast swaps. And here I am on your second podcast. So if nobody knows, Terry has two podcasts and she'll advertise that later, I'm sure. Before I, I was, I am a physician. I've been a physician for over 20 something years. I just passed 25, but that's close enough. And went, started at medicine and then realized shortly after being in medicine that it wasn't the last thing I was ever going to do. Took a while for me to come around to real estate investing. Took even longer for me to come around to social impact real estate investing. You're like, what the heck is that? We'll get into that a little bit. A lot later, I'm sorry. But being able to make a difference in so many different ways with your investing, with your money, is what got me to Money with Mission. It's giving your money the chance to help someone else, the world, however big you want to go, as well as help yourself with your financial bottom line. Those two things can and do go together in my world. So this is a podcast about wealth, right? And it's about yes. being mindful with wealth. So the first thing we like to do is we like to try to figure out definitions. Like, what does it mean to be wealthy? Um, what does it mean to have well-being? So how, what does that mean to you? When you when we talk about true wealth, how would you define true wealth? You know, that's a great question. And it's a question that I've actually been really thinking about lately because in my past days, wealth meant money. It was, and that was the end of the conversation. And now realizing that it is actually much bigger than money, it is, it is all aspects of my life, the holistic part of my life, having as many of those in alignment is what I feel will ultimately make me wealthy, which if you heard me correctly, they are not all in alignment yet. Still working, probably will be working on that until the day I die. But that is, that is the goal to have every part of my life in alignment. I have uh, there, I did a course called Life Book, and they break your life into 12 different chapters. And the goal is to get all of those things in alignment, not one at a time. You actually can align many at once when you're working on one. They just kind of can all come together, but still working on it. But being in alignment to me is what will make me wealthy. What are some of those micro categories? The 12 different uh, things. What are some of those things yeah, you want to work on? Health and wealth. Health and so health relationships, finances, of course, let's go to that one. So those are three big ones. Social. Mm. And the reason that one comes to my mind so well, so much is because that social 
when I started really looking at that, it plays a big part in all of my other categories. And there are a lot of things I don't do or do do socially that, like I said, affect my health, affect my finances, affect all these other categories. So that's the beautiful thing about that course to me is that you find one of them. You start at health and exercise and you started all those things and then you bounced all the way through the 12. But you get to one, like health to me is like, oh yeah, whatever, blah, 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 exercise, blah, 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 blah. And social was like number eight. And when I got to that one, I was like, oh, now I see why I want to be healthy. Now I see why I want my finances. Now I see why I want these relationships. Now I see all these other things that just kind of helped everything to line up. So are you an extrovert then if the social is so important to you? No, I don't think I'm an extrovert. I think I'm a a combination. I'm kind of a 50-50 because I do need my my time alone to really really come back. But social more in um, the relationships I have and the relationships I keep and who I let myself be around and who I let into my world is more what the social is about. You can't name the 12, but the two that you named intuitively, those are the two when when you, when someone does, when an academic does the research on what makes us happy when we're older, that relational and that health, those are the two things. Like that's, if you could focus 80% of your energy on health and relationships, you'd be 100% happier uh, when when you retire and later in life. So those are two great ones to focus on for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that makes perfect sense because those, those for me, round out the whole thing. And when those, when those are off, so one of my, I, I have not been very social lately. In other words, I've been kind of, there's been a lot of things going on in my life that made me be in and take care of some things in my house and in my life that didn't allow other people or I didn't think allowed other people. And towards the end of some of that, I did realize I need to let other people in. And that just started making everything so much easier actually mm. just it made it just much easier it flows better for me when i let other people in and see and i talk to and share my things get much better you're here yeah talk about happiness as well and then people say well, what is happiness and that's it is a you know i used to think you get happy and then you stay happy now i realize that's not true <laughs> you still have all those ups and downs and you can still be overall happy with the icky days and the great days and the five icky days in a row and then three great days. And it's just, this is what it is. There's, there's a trend in there we can find. (laughs) So, so you founded, and I'm just going to go straight to it. Money with mission. Correct. Private investment firm that tries to make a difference. You kind of, in the intro, you kind of mentioned that while generating a return. So tell us what that looks like and tell us where that comes from for you. Well, it start well, I started with real estate investing quite a while ago and we started with single family houses like many real estate investors do and ultimately started doing syndications which is gathering people's money and investing in something for a return. I did apartment buildings, we did some resort properties, we did some those are the main things and those were just kind of boring to me. It was like this is this I can do this kind of like medicine. I can do this. I can be good at this, but it just isn't doing the thing for me. And I don't even know if I could name the thing, but it wasn't fulfilling me. And then I went to a course about senior care, residential assisted living. And in that course, they talked about doing well and doing good. And they talked about how this trend on these kinds of homes could be beneficial to not only seniors, but also their families now that really helped. And that's when I, it was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Did it open an assisted living home? We still have that, but it was that actual course that started me on the on the social impact. It was that where I felt, 
oh, there can be real estate investing that has and makes a difference. Shortly after that, I met, a, I entered a group or started working with a group who planned to bring grocery store to a food desert and bring food production to a place where there's not food production or not much food production. And that was like, yes, that is me. And up until then, I was not money with mission. I was Felicia Frode doing the thing. And with all of that, we got that grocery store open. We've got fresh, we got a full service grocery store and a food desert that's working and doing well at this point. And it was sometime in that in that area that Money with Mission was born, it was the realization that this can really work. I've met so many people since that became who I am that are doing this, that are working to help people invest in things that make a difference in the world in, in some big, big ways and some small ways. It's just a matter of what you're looking to do in your world and what would fulfill you. But it's, it's, it's important to me because I think a lot of people think about investing to make money and then giving money away as a philanthropist. And I want those things to go together because we can't wait. We can't wait for everybody to make all their money and then start giving it away. We need to be investing in things that make a difference right now and get you a return. In, in this particular case, the, the food desert, and the, so are you, are you investing in the real estate and leasing to the grocery or are you actually investing in both the business and the real estate? In this first one, which was we're still on our first one and, and perfecting the model, we are both. We actually don't even own the real estate in this one. We couldn't pull that together, but we helped the city of Tulsa. This is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, North Tulsa, helped us put the building up. So we built the building. We are actually leasing the building from them for, I forget how long, some period of time within the option to purchase the building. And we are running the grocery store. So we are, I'm learning that business. And then ultimately what our goal is, this is our flagship. We're going to get this one running perfectly. How to, how, what's the, what are all the things that we need to make this kind of model work in other places and then take it other places. Did you do a bunch of research in like health and nutrition before this decision and before you chase this down? Cause this, that's, this is one of the big things that, uh, you know, in every city there's the, you know, there's, there's the tracks and there's the side of the tracks that has, you know, fantastic resource and the other side that doesn't. No, I did not, but Tulsa had done a resilience study and found that the people of North Tulsa lived 11 years less than the people of the rest of Tulsa. And that's, there's a lot, that's a multifactorial thing, right? It's not just one thing, but one thing, North Tulsa had not had a grocery store, full service grocery store for over 10 years. So if you can't get fresh anything, food to eat, and you're buying your groceries at Quick Trip and Dollar whatever, and we have 15 fast food restaurants in a two block, span yeah i mean that's just health is just gone it's just there's no way to be healthy to me and so you your all of your options are gone now we have our grocery store you walk in there the produce is beautiful we have a program in oklahoma and i think it's in other places called duo where you for people with food assistance they get double money for buying fresh fruit and produce they get double their money so they can come in they buy they get that much money put back on their card for when they come in, they get that, they can buy that same amount of stuff again for free. You got to give us the name of the grocery store. So listeners in, in Tulsa know. Our, our grocery store is Oasis Fresh Markets, North Peoria. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so interesting. It's also like so interesting, I guess, um, 
you know, from a Canadian perspective to kind of try to work my head around exactly how this works, because I think like our communities just aren't structured the way things are in the US. And like, I know from having traveled there that there are like, you know, things are very kind of certain neighborhoods are a certain way, then in those neighborhoods, you find certain kind of uh, stores and other neighborhoods, there's not those kind of stores. So it's interesting to yeah, and it's not even rural because I I expect I I've been to Canada, but I've only been to the city Toronto, and I like I don't know where a food desert. It seemed like everything was easy to get to in Toronto. In North Tulsa, things are you know actually the Midwest. Things are just a lot more spread out in general, and there there had been a grocery store here, but it, the population, the demographics couldn't support a gigantic grocery store. We have more of a I don't know if you guys have Trader Joe's, but a Trader Joe's kind of footprint is a 16,000 square foot full full service. It's got everything you could need in this neighborhood. And we are, we're, we're over a year old now and profitable most months. So we're, we're happy with where we are. We're, and that's, you know, in business, it's count your chickens. You count, you count your blessings on those days that you're doing well. Um, and those months that you do well, so that you're just like, Okay, we're getting it. Let's keep the mission. The mission is this grocery store needs to be here for these people. We we are providing this service. And I'm just, you know, we think food, okay, it's it's just food, but it's not just food. To make it so much easier for somebody to get their groceries takes that much else off of their plate, off of their mind of having to do. And then your mind is free to do so many other things, which then just opens up the creativity of what you can do. And it just eliminates a lot of stress in my mind. How, how I'm curious, how did you, I know a lot of people invest in real estate. I know a lot of people that invest in small business. How did you make the leap from, hey, I'm going to do these sort of supportive elderly locations for real estate to, hey, let's do a, let's do a grocery store in a food desert. Yeah, it was, I, I was actually introduced to a group who was doing that. And I was introduced in that to them as the person who, to help raise the money for it. And then just got really, really uh, involved in the whole thing. We've done, I'm going to jump back into what we've, we've done a fresh, what's called Fresh RX Food is Medicine program, where we, we just finished our first year of that, where we provided fresh produce to diabetics with out of control diabetes and our success. So I think, I think the ultimate total loss of 50 people was over i'm going to be conservative i think it was 400 pounds but i think i'm going to say 200 pounds just because i know it was 200 pounds a1c's which is a measure of your diabetes a1c normal a1c is under six out of control diabetes is a1c of eight and we had people with a1c's of 14 and our best person went from 14 to six so essentially normal and everyone had at least a two-point drop in their a1c so that much improvement in diabetes and diabetes control from just food, just the food, nothing else changed, just the food. I can't, I don't even remember. It's a gigantic number in healthcare dollars that are saved. It's just, I mean, food is medicine and we are working with it in that way. We're working with farmers to help them and actually with the soil and regenerate the soil. We're working with a mobile grocery store that's even taking the so it's a semi that goes out to neighborhoods where people can't even get to our grocery store. So they, if there's so much food, there's, there's so much happening in the food scene here in North Tulsa that it's amazing to me. And I'm really happy to be here and have found this place to be of service. It's, I find it so interesting because when we, you know, we think about 
doing something that has a positive impact on people's lives, like the first thing I would think of is not necessarily food, but you know, the way you describe it makes so much sense in terms of reducing stress, bettering health outcomes. Like I think, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting. It, it, and and the, like we talked about for real estate investing, buy the land, there's so many different ways to be involved in that as a real estate investor that it, it's just amazing to me. Uh, I'm, ex I'm excited for the potential of this for a lot of people. What do you think about your time spent going forward? Are, are you thinking more of this or, or going back to real estate or, or doing both at the same time? And are you still practicing as a doctor at the same time? I am still practicing very part-time. And by this, I, I'm, all, I'm all, real estate is my jam, but with, with the impact component. So whatever the real estate is, whether it's a grocery store, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's greenhouses or what you know those kinds of things that's that's real estate to me buying the land so that a farmer can lease the land back so that they can have some place to grow the vegetables that we need to have all those kinds of things are in the real estate realm for me wow that's uh, that's a broad uh, real estate expertise we, tara and i were talking i think the other day about how some people do real estate they do single family homes and other people do apartment buildings and other people do commercial and other people do whatever storage facilities i haven't talked to anyone that says yeah i do this and this and land and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all about your team right it's about the people you have around yeah. you that if, if i know somebody that knows a farmer that needs some land i mean that's kind of a, you know okay what kind of land do you need i need this land how much do you need do i need this that's really easy right it's, it's yeah. not even a hard thing to think about He's like, oh, great. We can buy this land. You'll rent it for, from us for this. Done. You're just, just a deal maker, which yeah. is great. <laughs> um, so let me switch gears a little bit. So this season is on women and wealth. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you. So, you know, practicing as an MD, being in the investment space and being a woman of color, what has that experience been like? Wow. Those are experiences all separate. <laughs> so, so thinking when I was going from medicine to real estate investing, or when I was dissatisfied with medicine and I was trying and I was talking to my colleagues about that, they couldn't understand that. And it it got to the to the, you know, what are you talking about? You're a doctor. What else can you do? This is what we do. That so that was that was a very challenging thing for me. And it took it actually would cut my legs out from under me a little bit and make me think, well, maybe that's, you know, you know, how you just get in your head about maybe that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm not. And ultimately I pushed that aside. It took some years, but things happen as they happen. And I believe I'm where I'm supposed to be and all the things that have happened to me to get me here needed to happen to get me here. You asked me about being a physician. You asked me about being a woman of color, and you asked me about being a an woman investor. in general. Yeah, or yeah, investor. exactly. An investor and a, and like and a woman, because you know, if I I think of my own experience as a business person, I was also an athlete for a while. Like being a woman within those different spheres has meant different things, and yeah. you know, you face different headwinds, or maybe you don't face headwinds. You know, and I'm I'm just curious about like what your experience has been like in that were there headwinds were there not any were there maybe winds in your back because sometimes you know like let's say when i was in sports there was also a, a real thing to like promote women at a certain point of view so you can also like surf on a certain wave yeah no well medicine as i'm a urologist so urologists and when i started there were about a hundred women urologists in the united states so that was not a that was all headwinds and um exactly 
and the group I was in, it, it was one misunderstanding or miscommunication or, you know, I got, I got pregnant in my first group and why do you need to take six weeks off? There, there was just, there's all kinds of things I had you know, surgically. There's, you have complication surgeries, you have complication and mine were so much bigger according to everybody else than anybody else. And fortunately I had some really good women mentors and people to talk to who are also surgeons who could guide me on how to deal with this kind of thing. And ultimately it was found out that you, know, you guys are just overblowing everything anyway, moved on. So as a urologist, a woman urologist, there have been headwinds all along. When I finally got to my practice that I just left, I actually worked with four or five other female urologists. And that was, a, that was amazing to me. So finally we're like, this is what you got. We're all women and it's mainly men that we deal with, but they were fine. Ultimately find out guys find out that, you know, you can really talk to us and we actually really listen to what you're saying. <laughs> and that's not always around in medicine. So that, that did help as an investor, I guess after that urology, I haven't really paid that much attention to anything trying to keep me from doing what I want to do. I figure out a way to get around it or over it or through it and just keep going. I don't pay attention a lot to ethnicities and race and that kind of stuff. If somebody's saying something to me that could be kind of off color that way, I don't tend to even notice it because I just it's not worth noticing to me. So I just I go forward. So maybe the medicine part and those kind of headwinds actually prepared me for everything else to be not such an issue anymore. It's like, just keep going. How are you connected to Les Brown? Les, uh, I was in a program in his speakers program. So that's how, and um, I wrote a book with him with several other authors and I got to be interviewed by him and got to interview him and got, he got worked, helped me with my speaking. He's a good guy. I was thinking about him just the other day. I had like I want to talk to Les. No, I don't. I don't have his private phone number or anybody. But I would like to. <laughs> it, he was really good, really good in that way. So, so tell, tell tell us about your chapter in that book or your section in that book. Ignite. It's that that's ignite the hunger within you, right? Yes, ignite the hunger in you. Okay, that book. That one I talked about. I talked about how I got to money with mission. Actually, from childhood. It started as me with as a little girl in Alabama. I was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, United States, Southern State in 1960, actually. So civil rights was still a thing going on then. It was there was still a lot of civil rights to happen from that point forward. So uh, that's where I was born and talked about the things that happened in my family. We kept going forward, forward, forward through medical school and how I got to Money with Mission, which you guys heard the last part of that. And Les really worked with us in being able to tell that story. And did, I didn't do a very good job. Sorry, Les. You did teach me better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so if we come back to the um, women and wealth, I think there's a lot of angles that people kind of approach that from. Like we can, you know, talk about the wage gap. We can talk about, you know, how women end up doing a lot of unpaid labor in the home. And also like there, you know, the equity gap, right? And that like women just tend to own less uh, equity in whatever, be it, corporate equity or, or real estate equity than men do. In your opinion, what's the place that women can put focus on? Let's say we're, you were, we're giving advice to a younger generation or whatever it is where they can put focus on to help them build more financial abundance and true wealth. I think the biggest thing to me is 
financial literacy, number one. And then I was going to talk about how I have my nieces staying with me these past few weeks. She's in her thirties. She actually works for an investment company, but she doesn't understand the money words. And so being able to speak in your family about money so many times, it's just not something people talk about And however you can talk about it, whether you play Monopoly, whether you play cash flow, whether you just out and out talk about financial stuff in your family. So basically financial literacy, understanding money, how money works, and not even the hard stuff. How do banks make money? I remember asking that question a long time ago as a kid, like how do banks make money? That basic thing would help a lot of people understand a lot. What happens to my money when I spend it at the grocery store? What happens to my money? You know, all of those kinds of just thinking about your money in ways other than what can it buy me? And thinking about it as a means of acquiring things, whether it's acquiring more money or requiring something that make that may make you happy for a moment. Happiness is fleeting. Um, it's just, it's actually putting a thought to your money is, based, is the biggest thing to me. And I think once you start thinking about it, you're going to start learning more about it. Just like anything else we put our attention to, it just starts becoming a bigger thing for you. And that is how you then start realizing, oh, this money sitting in the bank's not necessarily doing a lot for me. Maybe I need to send it out to do a little bit more work. The way my, I have two daughters, 27 and 30, we played Cashflow 101, Rich Robert Kiyosaki's game. And we started playing that adult game when they were in the third and fifth grades. Huh. And that has I mean that to watch them grow up having already having that kind of education they're neither one of them has a job which doesn't mean they don't make money but neither one of them has a job both of them are contract workers and they both have things set up in ways for them to invest one's a little more conservative than the other one one you know they have their philosophies and the ways they do things but they both have to me a background of what to do with their money and ask the right questions. For example, actually my one daughter just got a job. She got a job working for a online comic company. She's an actor, she's a writer. She held out for something that she wanted. She got this, she did this job, she goes, mom, they're offering me this amount of money, but I looked it up and it really says I should be making this amount of money. Okay, go for it. She sent them an email, said that the industry standard is da 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 da. And then she waited. She she was in this panic. Oh no, I'm not going to get the job because I'm asking for more money. And I was like, just relax, just relax. You're okay. And they did come back and they said, well, we start our people at this. However, we can give you this amount as a bonus for your first year to get you to that amount. I'm like, what else do you want? She's like, good job, honey. <laughs> Her other. Her other worry when she was about to take this job was, mom, what if I get used to this money and then I won't be able to quit if I want to, if I don't like it. And I'm like, don't get used to it. Live like you live, put money where you want to put it. When you want to quit, you quit. You know, just that kind of thought process about something. Not, I got a job now. I can go buy this, buy that. I can do this. I can get a better part. I can do all these things. I was just really impressed with her thinking about now having this regular steady income that could go away at any time, which is not a thing we often think about, which in today's world we have to think about because mm-hmm. it can go away at any time. My, my theme in all my, most of my podcasts is having options. Multiple streams of income can keep you alive for a long time. Um, if I push that in the direction of 
true wealth then? Because I think we just spoke, you know, about financial abundance, right? Um, yeah. And I think, you know, at the beginning, we started off with true wealth. And, and what do you think? Um, I mean, do you think that there is like a kind of a wage equity gap for women in terms of true wealth? Or, or I don't know, what what's your sense of that? I think the the gap is financial. So there is, and I don't know the statistics. I, I mean, I can, you know, women make however much for every dollar a man. I, I don't know. And that, and everybody can skew things however they make, but there's definitely an investment gap. I think women are much more conservative and will more likely save money than invest money. Or if they invest money, they're investing it in a 401k. I don't know. What do you call it in Canada? but something that somebody else is managing and don't choose to manage their money themselves. And it's a lack of confidence. And I think that lack of confidence comes from a lot of things, including not talking about money for your whole life. We as women are raised more to nurture and take care and of somebody else and not, not use things to benefit us and other people like money. Money can, is a tool to be used. We don't get taught about using tools. We get taught about taking care of babies and cooking and that kind of stuff. That's, I realize, very stereotypical, but a lot of times that's what it is. That's what we are, whether it's a direct teaching or an indirect teaching from television and whatever. But I think it's still there quite a bit. It's better. I forgot what you were talking about. True well. So, I, I mean, security... And feeling secure is like one of those base triangle things you have to have before you can go any higher to significance. And I can't even remember all the levels, but being secure and having enough money and to be able to have a good roof over your head, to be able to eat the food that you need to have to be healthy. Um, those are basic things. So money to me is always going to come become a be a part of wealth because without it, you just you're always wondering and worrying about are you going to be able to survive? So financial is always going to be one of those basic wealth things. Is having a whole bunch of money all you need to be truly wealthy? I don't believe that. It is a well-rounded life that makes you truly that. But if you don't have the money, you can't even think about social and relational and all those other things. You're trying to survive on that. You you know, we, we discussed like kind of the abundance wealth factor and you know at the beginning we began with defining what we think of as true wealth and i'm curious if you think like if you had to you know throw something out there do you think that there is a wealth disparity in terms of the true wealth factor right which in which we include well-being um you know social relationships community all these things or do things somehow even out if women are maybe less focused on building wealth or they may be more focused on building you know community or community. something like that yeah well, I do believe, I'm going to answer that this way, that women are better or have more experience in building community and that collaboration or at least cooperation kind of community work. So there's that. I don't think that by itself gets you wealthy because if you can do those things but don't have the financial structure to maintain those things, it's going to fall apart. So I think that's where I was going with the financial security has to be the base the finance the foundation for all the rest of your wealth to come in does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah and i think i mean i think you kind of answered the question before without necessarily answering it explicitly but the, the talking about security i think is a really good point of view right because even we talk about financial abundance as maybe the, on the plus side 
But if you're on the negative side and you're living in, in an, kind of an insecurity because you didn't pay enough attention, that like cuts the legs out from under any other kind of project Everything you can have to build. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and often if you're on the downside, you can barely even think about building community. That's where, you know, the crimes and all, it's like, I'm trying to survive. And it breaks down so many other things without a, finan a good financial foundation. One, one of the things you talked about, and I think that the, the story you told about your daughter, you know, holding out for a better income with that job was that confidence issue. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of research on this that men and women are equally intelligent when it comes to this stuff. Men are just overconfident. Like it's not that we're, we're more confident, but we are inappropriately confident. Everybody thoughts about that? I mean, we, you know, I, I fake it till I make it. I am, you know, I, I, I pretend uh, and men tend to do that I and mean, be boisterous about it and just not care, you know, what you think about it. We just, you're out there and say it. And I think failure for men, while it's, uh, it, it hurts, it's not as big of a thing they think about up front, it seems like to me, where I think about, I still think about what if that doesn't work? Mm. And I, I mean, it's, a, it's one of the first things, what if that doesn't work? What if it fails? And then I, I've learned to think through what's the worst case scenario? Can you live with that? All right, let's go. And if I can't live with that, then I do something different. But it is, I go to worst case scenario. Can you live with that? Okay, go with it. And that's how I try to work with my girls too. Go to worse. If, you, if, you're, if you're pilling around with it about this might happen, this might happen, just go to the worst thing that could happen. Then go forward. So, but the confidence for women, it seems like confidence comes with doing. And oftentimes we, we don't do because we don't have confidence, but you got to just step out there and I work a lot telling women about, you know, the mistakes are the way you learn and make mistakes in little ways. We're, I'm starting a cash flow game. So you can make all the mistakes you want on a game and it feel you feel it. When you go bankrupt in that game, you feel it. But you're not bankrupt. You can walk out of that game and start go back to your life. And you really think through how you emotionally, how you are emotionally attached to money. And it is that is, that's, a, I think, a huge thing, your emotions with your money and how you're emotionally attached to it. I need to have it. I'm afraid I'm not going to have it. Where? How do you interact with that? And is a big way about how you're going to build your financial wealth is your relationship with money. I hope that came out right. Mm -hmm. Your relationship with money has a lot to do with your financial wealth. And, and a lot of that starts with that education that you said, you know, financial literacy, how, you know, how do you make the decisions? And, and then once you know how, then you make some decisions and you screw up and you learn the lesson and you can make another decision. And yeah, that's really, that's the foundation. Well, yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot out there about female financial empowerment. I know that's, that's, you know, right in the core of what you're doing with some of the real estate that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Is it easy or, or how can it be easy for, for someone like myself, male, to help or, is my stepping in and trying to help, does that actually disempower? Like, what is it that I, is it best for me to step back or what is it best for me to do? No, I always think help is good. And it's answering questions. And first of all, we have to ask questions and you ask a question of somebody who can answer it for you. And I always tell my daughters and tell me if it feels right, then okay, accept that answer. If it doesn't feel right, don't accept that answer and go ask somebody else. Make it feel right for you. And we all have that. We don't all trust it. And we don't always, always trust it. I'm that person. I don't always trust it. But we have this thing that tells us that makes sense or that just makes no sense. So number one, you have to ask. You, you have to me ask 
questions are the way to learn anything. If you have no idea of where to start, then you say, hey, I want to learn about money and I have no way, I have no idea how to start. That's you putting yourself out there, put it somewhere safe, you know, find a safe person that you can talk to about that. I love having those conversations. Terry's good with that. So we can get the ball rolling on everybody catching up and understanding finances. And as more and more women are financially secure and financially wealthy, then that whole community and all those other things that we we tend to build separately. But if we if we intentionally build our wealth so that we are building communities and improving the world and making better housing and better water and better health, better education, better everything, all those things can be done private with private capital that gives you a return and is making a bigger difference than the government can ever, ever do. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Felicia, I think we've come to the end of our questions. Is there anything else you want to, uh, kind of share with our audience or do you just want to tell us where we can find you? I love this conversation. First of all, talking about women and actually wealth, true wealth and how it happens in financial literacy. And we you always have to start with that basis and how women build community. And that is not to the exclusion of men. I think we need both of us in our right places, working together to build the things that we need in this world to make it the place that it should be. So that's that. And then you can find me, moneywithmission.com. I can I have um, an ebook called um, How to Create Wealth That Outlives You. You can find that. At, you can email us at legacy at moneywithmission.com, and that'll get you that. I, I'm not on Facebook that much, but there's a Facebook page out there money with mission money with mission is our is our name so go there there's blogs i have a podcast that comes out weekly where we talk about different financial um, investments that also have a social impact and think things you just don't even think about that people are doing in the world to make a difference and you just got to decide what your difference is to be made and go out there and do it beautiful thanks for coming on felicia I appreciate it, you guys. Thank you. It's good to see you again, Terry. Thank you. <laughs>